So then, from the time you were eight years old until now, have you experienced this periodically over the ensuing years? Yes. From 13 on, it's happened. It's happened periodically. Over the past few weeks, things have started happening again. So, when you tell me that it's moved from where you were living when you were eight, again when you were living someplace else when you were 13, and now here, it seems to me that that's what we're dealing with. Something that's basically connected to you. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. My area of expertise is dealing with ghosts. That's what I built my career around, helping people get in touch with uh, people who have died communicating with ghosts, the spirits of dead human beings. A demon is something different. That's an entity that relates to something that is non-human. Today we'll be doing a listener request, discussing the film Paranormal Activity, starring Mika Slout. I've been doing my research, I'm taking care of this. Nobody comes to my house, fucks with my girlfriend, gets away with Katie Featherston. new control, I'm making progress. No, you haven't been having any progress, and you're not in control. It is in control, and if you think you're in control, then you're being an idiot. <laughs> Not a single thing you've done has helped. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but the camera hasn't helped and the stupid footprints haven't helped. Do you think that thing would have left footprints if it didn't want to? No. And Mark Friedrichs. These hauntings, they feed off of negative energy. So if there is something negative going on here, it will, it will help spur on the, the haunting. Directed by Oren Pelly. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Whose house... Blumhouse. It's Gally from Glasgow. Appropriately enough, my quote today, fuck this shit. It's Devlin in London. We are having very intense girl time right now. It's Patrick in London. Wow, this is overpowering. It certainly doesn't like that I'm here and I cannot help you. In fact, I've got to get out of here. This thing is very aggravated at the fact that I'm here. <laughs> it's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, gang. And welcome back, listeners. Uh, today... We are doing a listener request sent in from longtime fan Davy Growls, who wanted us to discuss the 2007 found footage phenomenon, paranormal activity. We we have fans. We do have fans. Yes, I believe. I mean, this is not our first listener request, but it it does take us about a year every time, and we've got like thirty odd now. Um, but some of them we we have been just sidestepping. Um, you know who you are. <gasps> Slam! <laughs> How dare you listen to us and try and engage? <laughs> um, thank you very much, Davy, for your third listener request of the, on the show, which is the found footage phenomenon, paranormal activity from 2007. So, team, does anyone here have any experiences with the film before Davy chose it for the show? Yeah, I went to see this at the cinema back in all those years ago. Um, it was with my ex-girlfriend and it was weird because this film, while it says it's released in 2007, I didn't see it till 2009 and I definitely saw it in the cinema. So yeah, it was, uh, it was released festival only. They only did one screening of it, I believe in 2007, if i right. correct. And that's when they were signed. Uh, mm. uh, we'll get into this in the, well, by uh, Paramount. In the yeah. Yes. So we'll get into this, I'm sure in the, in the production mm. history, but yeah, there, there was a bit of a gap between its first screening and its wide release in 2009. And the Thank version you. that was released in 2007 was not quite the That's same. right. So did none of you see it before this week? I didn't see it at the cinema. I missed the cinema buzz completely. I think it was a screen select or love film 
I don't know if it was before they changed their name, the mail service online DVD effort for me. Um, but I, I don't remember the year. Um, it was, uh, I've, yeah, it, I think Bloody Disgusting and Dread Central were the ones that raved about it with that initial trailer where everything is in uh, night vision and you don't see much of the film. You just see the yeah. crowd reaction to it. And was that the first time that had been done? It's the first time I remember seeing it. And, and I remember that was like, I, I didn't see the film either. This is my first, my first watch of it, but I remember that trailer was, uh, was, 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 was it's a good, big. it's an effective trailer that has now been used subsequently plenty of times, isn't it? But the old night yeah. vision of people going, yeah, you know, it must have been you and Patrick <laughs> and your ex-girlfriend there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, well, I, I don't remember that trailer at all. I don't remember the reason why we went to see it apart from, you know, date night or whatever. Um, we quite liked horror films at the time. Um, you know, we, we, and, and she enjoyed being scared and did she grab onto you? Thrill Patrick? and yeah, yeah. Proper, proper curled up. Yeah. I didn't even have to yawn and extend the arm. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I felt quite bitter yeah. when I saw it because I, well, I tell myself that I had the idea to do this before the film was made. There was um, an alleged poltergeist on my Nana's street in uh, Katrick Village back in the day. And um, my dad taught the two kids that were in the family and they used to talk about the weird things that would happen like toilets would flush in the middle of the night and um pictures would fly off the walls and things like that so i had all these pictures in my mind that after blair witch i really wanted to rip it off and do something along the lines of a ghost watch or uh, an enfield poltergeist kind of a thing and i had the high eight camera that my dad had at his school as well and that's something that i sort of drafted but never did and i always kind of wished I'd done something with it because this concept was actually um, something I was really interested in. Well, at the time, De- Devlin Galley, uh, Matt even, do you remember Becky Ray Rogers, um, one of our tutors? Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember uh, Becky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you remember, but in 2000, uh, I think it was five, I worked on a film that she produced at uni called Exhibit A, a little oh, yeah. known British film. And that was found footage a video camera film hmm. about a family kind of falling apart because uh, they're in debt and the father trying to get himself out of debt and just digging a bigger and bigger hole for himself, literally in the film because he builds a swimming pool. And I remember, I, I, I don't know whether that had a reason why I was drawn to this film as well at the time, having worked on something similar, but um, I thought it was kind of fascinating that there, there are similarities between the film. They, hmm. they drew... um. I remember them speaking about one of their influences being My Little Eye, 2000. Oh, Gally's favourite. Jesus. Yeah. 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 Well, let, let, let me tell you my history with this one. Zero. I slept on Paranormal Activity until this week. I watched it, uh, two day, two nights ago. Um, and I've got to say, I, when, when Davey's request came in and we'd all agreed that we'll do it, I was a little bit worried because I, you know, I know nothing about the movie apart from the basic kind of premise and i was thinking well god what are we really gonna get into here i'm you know i've seen blair witch project um and that 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 to me seems like the the kind of the ultimate so anything else would would sort of fail in comparison my little eye is the reason i slept on paranormal activity patrick because that film Mm. is dreadful (laughs) Um, i actually had a little look at the list of found footage movies um as according to 
kind of categorized via Wikipedia, which is obviously not um, wholly accurate. But My Little Lie doesn't feature in that because I think it's more of a reality TV show type um, less found footage and more there's cameras all over the, the yeah. house they're living yeah. there social experiment it's Blair Witch light but it's also shit uh, and I think for me that kind of left a real sour taste in my mouth and I just didn't get on board with this subgenre of horror at all so I just completely turned my back on it which now um, sandwiches I kind of wish I hadn't because mm. I think I would have loved to have gone to the cinema and seen this movie as opposed to watch it in a bedroom on my own on a little laptop. I watched it on the projector last night on my 90 inch projector. And that was pretty fucking good. Actually lights down low. Um, I quite enjoyed seeing it that way. I think I I do have a vague memory of being quite, I remember the reviews of this film at the time. And I remember being quite attracted to watching it from an interest point of view, from maybe Matt's point of view as well, you know, wanting to make your own thing. Cause it was, as we'll get into more of the production, it was made for $15,000. Hmm. A, a, a rumored budget which was and, and that kind of notoriety i think was a real intrigue at the time for something that can be, be shot for so such a small amount of money and make so much well for budding filmmakers like ourselves back back in those days we just finished you, you, you know uni you, and that was well you've got you've got a few you've got a few examples that you kind of go well if you could evil dad's one blair witch is the other and then I think for the 2000s, this is the other one, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, they are, they are films that anybody can make. And actually, you know, if the story, if the lesson should be for any kind of budding filmmakers, even now is that as long as you've got a script and you can, you've, you've got a format that will support it, you can make, you can make a film. We'll get into some of the snobbery, the pitfalls of that because. Well, there's pitfalls as well, but there's also, I think, uh, inherently, and we were, we were leaving film school and I do wonder, I'm probably talking to myself here from 20 years ago. Um, what, were I somebody who wanted to make a movie on a DV camera? Probably not. No, cause I was a purist. Mm. Um, but, but you know, you, you work within your means. And yeah, as Devlin said, we will talk about the production history. Does Dev have a first, first experience with this one? Uh, I was very similar to, to you, Gally. I, I didn't see it at the cinema and it was just outright snobbery. Uh, I'd seen, I really, really liked the Blair Witch Project. Um, and then I'd seen far too many shitty knockoffs, several of which we watched together at various film festivals and the, the oh, quality, the bar. So, so many. You just unlocked a memory. What was that one that was written, directed, cinematography, <laughs> acted, produced? Which one was that fucking dog shit one? It was a ghost story and it was it's so terrible. bad. It was, it so was terrible. Bad. I found it. I bookmarked it on, on YouTube and we're going to watch it together next time we meet in person. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Lord. But, um, but yeah, we, the, the great thing about uh, a film that you can make for 15 grand is that if you've got an idea and you can scrape together a bit of cash, you can make something and it might actually be quite special. The downside of that is that the bar for entry is so fucking low that <laughs> you can just, you know, people can force this shit out into the world. And once you've made it, it's, you will eventually get it screened somewhere and someone like ourselves will be suckered in. So I kind of, I missed the hype train for it. And then I just, and, and then the sequels multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And it just didn't seem like anything I ever really wanted to pitch in on. And, you know, again, mild, mild sandwiches, just the, just the corner of a crust. Uh, I am also disappointed that I didn't, cause I think it would have been, uh, 
it would have been a very fun experience. I think it probably would have changed my mind a little earlier. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So, Patrick, it's ghost story time. Um, could you remind us and the listeners of the synopsis for Paranormal Activity? What happens when you sleep? That's the question that engaged to be engaged Katie and Mika pose after experiencing what may or may not be paranormal phenomena in their new home in San Diego, 2006. And in an attempt to answer that question, Mika has bought a giant-ass video camera and starts to document their three-year-old relationship, setting up the camera in their bedroom where most of the activity has been taking place. Katie tells psychic Dr. Friedrichs that she has experienced haunting since she was eight years old and is advised demons can feed on negative energy to not communicate with it as it will open the door and invite it in. Because what it probably wants is Katie. Katie takes this very seriously and wants advice from a demonologist, but Mika isn't being very mature about it with his filming and ignorantly insists on reaching out. Activity starts escalating, a creaky door, a growl, a shadow, and become more violent and pronounced as time goes on. Because Mika's so mature, he gets a Ouija board, and of course he does. Katie's not happy and a weird message is left on the board. A few nights later, Mika spreads talcum powder on the corridor and footsteps appear, leading them to the attic and an ominous singed photo of Katie as a child. There's no way that even exists. Katie's then physically dragged from her bed into the dark corridor. Her screams wake Mika, who saves her just in time. Nobody comes into his house and fucks with his girlfriend. He's going to solve the fucking problem. But on night 21, October 8th at 1.27am, Katie goes to bed, not seeming her usual self. A peculiar smile adorns her face before they go to sleep. She wakes, stands over the sleeping Mika for two hours before heading downstairs and screaming. Mika wakes and run down, runs downstairs to her aid. His screams in the darkness cut short. Katie's whereabouts remain unknown. Ooh, <laughs> I need a mediator. <laughs> thank you very much patrick um before we get into the production history i wanted to add some context because you're gonna have to forgive me listeners uh i slept on this movie indeed i slept on the entire story of uh of blumhouse pictures as well so this has been a real enlightening week for me so i'm just going to go through the the critical uh response uh as uh, denoted on Rotten Tomatoes, and also the budget to box office, which is quite incredible. So with an alleged budget of $15,000, it made in box office $193 million, which is mental. And the critic score was 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the audience was 57%, which I found really interesting because oh. I compare this one massively to Blair Witch for obvious reasons. And funny enough, the critics and audience score very similar. Over to you, Devlin, with a hypothesis. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, the uh, uh, people don't like feeling like they were tricked into something, and people uh, also people will like to pretend that they are not affected by horror films, in which I don't understand why you would even go in the first place. Um, but I've had far too many experiences of, uh, of going into horror films in the cinema and, and leaving just infuriated by large numbers of people getting up and grumbling 
openly, loudly, and actively in their seats throughout the end of the film and afterwards about oh, fucking shit. The the list's too long, but it does tend to happen to um, it tends to happen to any horror film that breaks from a really, really specific um, structure. Now, this one does have a specific structure, but I guess as a found footage film, it has a slightly different rhythm to it. Uh, it tends to happen with stuff like um, Hereditary or It Follows or, or any of those kind of massive air quotes, elevated horrors. People get very annoyed at those for some reason. But Devlin, is it also the case that these films break into a wider audience? So, you I know, there's a bit so, of gatekeeping, yeah. right? Like, you know, if it, it's it's like discovering an album. Yeah. And then everyone discovering it and you going, oh, it's not mine anymore. So I don't like it at all. They're rubbish. What Dev's saying is like, it's kind of in the moment. It's, it's the moment the film ends in that blackness just before the credits roll. Idiots love to shout something within that moment so everyone can, <laughs> yes. can hear, particularly if you come from is that, is that pride? I think that they're, they're announcing that, that it, it didn't get to them. It didn't bother them. It didn't disturb them. And they, depending on who they're with that, that night, whether they're with their girlfriend or their mates, uh, I think they, they can't resist that urge to just diffuse it. Yeah. Yeah. We've discussed about the, uh, the marketing for this one is predicated on the authenticity of the story. Now, whether or not you buy into that, obviously, hokum it's a movie but the film is desperately trying to give you that authenticity we have no recognizable actors i'm looking at you uh dr friedrich um <laughs> we've got we've got tv we've got a tv camera uh and we've got and we've got this and we've got this very very uh you know kind of like cold statement which is just you know thank you to the family yeah. and the San Diego mm. police department. There's, there's no credits at the end. Yeah, no credits, nothing. Yeah. Um, it, it was made by no one. Uh, but, but I, I think people are probably also railing against that, aren't they? As, uh, as Matt says, it's a, it's a sense of when you get caught up in the hype train and I remember the trailer, even though I didn't go and see it, it was like, this movie will make you shit out your guts. You know, that was, that was essentially what they were. Just like Lydia. Just like Lydia. God bless her. Friend of the show. But, you know, so that is what we, that's what they're railing against, I think. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because Blair Witch 99, Blair Witch is more of a documentary. This isn't a documentary. Mm. I don't know. Cause Blair Witch was, it was designed that way and eventually ended up mm. that way with the curse of the Blair Witch on. Uh, I forgot mm. which channel was it on the Sundance channel or something like that. But the, mm. the, the they went with entirely found footage for that one. There was no there's no pieces to camera. There's no talking heads. It's it's all yeah. discovered footage for that mm. one, which I appreciate. Well, I also think that Blair, which is more of a, it's, it almost feels like a a kind of sociology experiment. Whereas yeah. this, one of the things that I found most effective about it, um, just to get straight into it before we talk about Blumhouse and the production, is I like the idea that this couldn't just happen to anyone you're kind of like it's it's related to her so you know how like you can have skeptics like, well you know there's hauntings and ghosts well i've never seen one well no because you've never you've never had a a demon attach itself to you uh, i quite mm. liked that that made the horror quite effective for me because you know they mm. say don't run up the stairs run out the front door if, if you can't escape a demon that's that's going to follow you to every house, you literally can't get away from it. So that's mm. a reason to contain the story to this house and mm -hmm. uh, you yep. get away with it to that degree. I, I, I think it was interesting you were saying, Gally, as well, that it's the, because Blair Witch Project was the, the original intent of the filmmakers within the film 
the fictional filmmakers within the film and also the characters was they are making a documentary. So there are there uh, there's an inbuilt way of getting all of your um, exposition across in a really you can have Heather talking to the camera to explain we are here because there is this myth and legend that we are looking to uh, investigate. Um, and then you can have the constructed reality around that where they discuss off screen how they're going to handle what's happening to them. And it's like um, the the level of mediation that the characters are getting across is interesting. And what I liked about this was that this is just two people in their own home just documenting a thing for either their own sanity or to prove something to someone, but they don't really know what they're filming it for. Or because you're just a moron who yeah. just a pisser well, guy. From I, I, I will, uh, yeah. I will yeah. say this though, Devlin. I think in in the Blair Witch, where the, with all these found footage, the, the the big question is always why is the camera still rolling? And I think yeah. they 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 deal with it in Blair Witch. Um, I, I think I re- I remember like Heather says a line of like I need this. This is all I have, and they're, they're essentially clinging mm. on to the idea that their their fate is sealed, but the one thing they've still got is the documentary but this did well to take it into the domestic environment you know like a relatable uh place that is i think that kind of hits a lot of the 50 percent of the audience uh to to bring it into the home and to make it quite relatable Mm. that way is quite quite telling and good in here and that was maybe made it stand out a little bit against them all at the time also on the why why are they filming factor i've written down as a, a problem for a lot of these films it's like you, you're constantly asking what why didn't you just put the camera down and get out of there but uh, i think i talked about it when we addressed wreck on um the was it the zombie zombie uh, yeah. may of the dead podcast that we did uh that was kind of loosely based around the idea of the 9-11 firefighters uh documentary uh, and those two guys were, were the Nordette brothers, were a couple of French filmmakers following a firefighter, and they kept filming throughout the whole the whole events of that day. And I think it is that that Heather from Blair Witch Syndrome of uh, creating like a gauze or like a, like a filter between uh, the, the the person filming and the action in order to create kind of the illusion of a safe zone. I think as well that criticism now is kind of out of date. Because I mean, everyone films everything. Don't if they? you give if you give someone yeah. a if you give someone a phone with a camera, they won't put that fucking thing down. So in a way, Mika is the prototype for the the kind of the TikTok. He's the pro. He's the Instagram live guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he really sells it though, guy. doesn't he? Um, his character's quite. Well, I hate him. So yeah, like, he he's well. a knobhead. Yeah, and he's quite. I, I tried to put in the synopsis how immature he was to politely say that he's just a belligerent git. Um, but he does give reason to an understanding why he does film all the time. He grabs the camera at first. He's trying to help her, but then it just seems like it's his own project. But I think the bedroom static shot and you can't ask why they're recording for so long on that one. And that is the majority of the film and the, the key, uh, frame. And that's, that's almost selling like I get why he's filming a lot. As I say, I think it's I think it's an outdated criticism now for these found footages. Did you ever think that problem in Cloverfield as well? I I have several issues with Cloverfield. My main one is the fundamental issue that I have with all these found footage films is they're normally predicated, as I said, on some form of authenticity. I I get the 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 allegory, but if a big monster is destroying the city in a found footage film I know that BBC News will will definitely cover that. Um, whereas this <laughs> this paranormal activity 
it's contained in a yeah. in a, in a suburban yeah. area. It happens to a couple. Someone goes spoilers. Someone goes missing. Someone gets killed. That might not come across my radar. Therefore, in, I'm just trying to transport myself back to 2007 or 2009 when it when it kind of probably came out to the UK. I would have bought the idea that this you know could be real. Like because the Blair Witch had me in '99. I was a little bit younger, but I was I was sold on the idea that this was real. Yeah, I remember a lot of people being sold on that idea. Well, there's nothing to blow it there. There's no sandwiches. There's no um, CGI demon faces in the Blair Witch. You know, pa- paranormal activity has a lot going for it with shadows and the, the breaths on her hair. And I said the breaths. leg pull and uh, yeah, th- yeah, the leg pull and the way the sheets lift up. It, it's all done quite seamlessly and there's nothing to take you out of it. Although Blair Witch doesn't even show that. There's actually a theory that Blair Witch could have been like deliverance. There could have been people fucking with them rather than there being an actual supernatural element. To, yeah. Well, that was Blair the Witch because you never see it. Yeah, running around in long johns or whatever, shaking a tent. Yeah, well, they they point out that it's a weird town, like a weird kind of you know slightly hostile town, and these are three Mm. swaggering little you know they're like and and Josh Josh says um, the the scariest thing would be that people would come out here to fuck with us, like in the middle of nowhere. That might be even scarier than than a potentially Mm. supernatural thing. Uh, My my other issue with Cloverfield, by the way, was the idea of comic relief. There's a comic relief character mm. in there that does a lot of filming and he narrates uh, it yeah, kind of pathetically. Yeah, yeah. But I, I did, I loved the, the poster for that film with the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. And there was a lot of viral marketing with that one, the slush stuff. And you had to figure out oh, the trailer what the monster was, was going to be. It was teased very well. The whole JJ Abrams factor. Yeah. The, the marketing for all these types of, you know, the ones that we've discussed that have, that have really hit broader audiences than just the the horror community they've all had incredible viral marketing and, and as i say having not ever seen this film there are, i don't think there's anything as iconic as heather's um nose and tears shots oh, yeah. paranormal activity but the still shot of the bedroom is for me yeah. the thing that if i'm going to think of paranormal activity as a poster as a movie as whatever it's that yeah. um so it does have at least that kind of iconography built. And I, I use the tagline in the synopsis as well. I like the tagline, which is what happens when you sleep. And again, tying into the Freudian environment. It's, the, <laughs> one, one of the scariest drinks. things, <laughs> one of the scariest things in terms of the horror was the, uh, that, that iconic kind of, is it kind of night vision or is it just a blue hue? What have, what have we got going on? I think kind it's, of... I think it's night vision because they only, they, they say that they've got one lamp on, but the fact that you can see a blue yeah. hue. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, what I yeah, like it's, is it's, the way the, the time code ticks it, yeah. by that the, I think Mark Commode said the scariest part for, he, he wasn't scared by the movie. We'll get to it. But, uh, one of the things that oh, he, he was, felt was, was he one of those ones that shouted at the end, was he? Yeah. Yeah. Not for, uh, not for me. Not flappy for hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bit where he- uh, Heather, the bit where Katie is standing over Mika while he's sleeping, mm-hmm. and the the hours are—is uh, it forty-five minutes or is it even a couple two, of hours? Two hours, by? one and a half, and two hours or something. Yeah. And she's just stood there, and that is is freaky. And every time that time code um, fast forwards and then stops, that's great for the tension and the suspense because you you know that something is gonna that they're showing us this specific part for a reason. 
Did it make you think of like Royal Rumble counting down to the next entry? <laughs> yeah. of the way the- Each night as well is the thing. Like yeah. Blair Witch does it. Uh, the Exorcist does it. Every time you go back to Reagan's room, it's worse. Every night in the Blair Witch gets progressively worse. And this one is the same. Like night, if night one, if a door is moving, what, what's going to happen night two or three? Like it's, it really grips you. My biggest compliment for the film, um, before we get into unpacking and deconstructing how they, how they achieve it is just to to have the confidence to just leave a still image and that be enough yes. you know you've obviously yeah. got to ratchet the tension there's clearly escalation throughout the film uh, i do have a moment where i think i would have shown more restraints but i also understand that this becomes the blueprint for a production company going forward for the next decade mm-hmm. and maybe i'm not wholly on board with how they end but certainly the suspense stuff like how on earth can i watch something like the rock and be like i'm thoroughly entertained by this this crazy image that keeps getting thrown at me left right and center and then at the same time i can watch something like this with a still image and it it reminded me of our discussion of the original halloween you know we talked about the wide um the wide aspect what's lurking in the shadows yeah well i'm 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 waiting constantly for something to happen and in waiting, I'm then getting more nervous. I actually found myself biting my nails whilst I was watching it. I wasn't scared because, as I say, I'm, I'm a little bit older now, but but it worked. It was affecting on me. I it think that's the film's masterstroke is that shot, that still bedroom shot. You, you're raking the screen. Your eyes are looking at where is it coming from? Is it going to be the bed? Is it going to be the doorway? The hallway be- for me. I was always hallway. looking in that hallway. Yeah. When the, the bed sheet, a shot, like, the shadow across the door for me sends a proper chill through me. Um, and it's, I, I do think that you said like not iconic galley, but you, you did identify this, but be- this bedroom shot. And I do think it is because it's a proper horror. Like that is a horror scene. That bedroom shot is fucking classic. Do you think that these films are more effective to people with good imaginations? Um, like I, I'm involved in this film and I feel like, uh, the, the worries and the concerns I'm putting them onto that, that wide shot of, of the bedroom and what I'm imagining, I don't know what it may be, but it's scarier than what, whatever they would eventually show you. I think your ears are also attuned to what, what was that noise from the film or in the room that I'm in as yeah, well? Yeah. My fridge was making noises and I was <laughs> yeah, panicking. Yeah. 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 It's quite clever attack on the senses that way. So Matt, you, you've just said there that you're getting involved. I'm saying I'm getting involved. Normally, for any kind of film, characters are so important. Our empathy is so important. Our sympathy is so important. Relatability, all of that kind of stuff. In this film, I found them to be deeply irritating, but in particular, Mika, to the point where I was like, man, I really want this guy to kind of get, get gone. And I, I, I messaged you offline, um, and said, I thought that Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the winner of the most annoying horror character. Yeah. I'm replacing Franklin <laughs> with Mika because Franklin is not in the whole of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mika is in all of this. And, but, but in a way, again, that's testament to the filmmakers for, for I can put up with him. And I don't know whether that's just because it's the format, 
because I wonder if this was a real film. Oh, oh God, Jesus, I've just done it myself. I wonder <laughs> oh. if this was a, obviously do. I wonder if this a was narrative a narrative fiction feature. Yes. A, a, a standard narrative. I don't know what you'd call that. Back away, not today. <laughs> Disco lady. <laughs> Disco <What> I, <laughs> What I meant to say was, I wonder if this was a more conventional film in the way that it was shot and depicted. So, you know, <laughs> Shot on film well, or, di- or or high digital with whether or not that would have then caused me to just come out of the movie, but it didn't bother me. I was in, I think as well, I did sympathize with Katie, but Mika was doing my tits in. But th- does Mika do your tits in to, uh, drive your sympathy towards Katie? Especially, you know, the beginning, Katie does sometimes record with a camera and that after 20 minutes, she never does again. And it's all his, asshole kind of project and ways baiting whatever's in the darkness and yeah. all of that. He, he's exacerbating it. And that drove my empathy towards Katie quite a lot. And I think he's quite an important, his uh, manner and his persona is quite important to drive that throughout the film. So yeah, I mean, he's a moron and I hate him, but that's, we don't get the film without him. Yeah, he's a device, isn't he? He's hateable, mm. but he needs to be there. He, he voices a lot of our concerns as well with his skepticism yeah. early yeah. on, which helps. Um, and I like, I, he does have one good line where one of the psychic says it feeds on negative energy and he says, you shouldn't let your mother. Mo- mother <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong with a mother-in-law joke. Can you? He's like the Les Dawson of the found footage uh, genre. <laughs> um, I had, I had a, um, a bit of a bullshit theory. You know how sometimes we talk about that people will come up with uh, these sort of one-to-one really clunky metaphors for films and then drive them into the ground. I'm going to do that. I'm letterboxed. Um, it is, it is literally just a, uh, it's a thing that kind of floated into my head. Um, so I do not for one second believe that this is actually what the film is about. But when you were saying that you sometimes kind of um, craft a bit of a narrative around it, like you were saying that Matt, that uh, a film like this, you probably have to buy in, and probably invest a bit more in it. Um, so the, the idea that the film makes, uh, the home unsafe is a thing that we talked about in Halloween, which is like a really fundamental fear, like a really, really mm. fundamental fear that's going to work on everyone. Narrow it down. Where's the most vulnerable place in your house? It's in the bed. It's when you're asleep. It's when you are uh, yeah. unconscious. And then it's like, it's not the home. It's not the bedroom. It's her. There is a, yeah. a darkness attached to her, which she will never outrun. And mm. it made me think of, um, also the way that he treats her. It made me think of like, um, in a couple, if there is one partner that has, for example, experienced a trauma at some point and is carrying that trauma with them, the way Mika reacts to her reminds me of some of the ways in which a partner may try and then fail to support somebody who is going mm. through something quite difficult at first he just wants to fix it and he becomes more and more belligerent as he does so and when he realizes he can't fix it which would be you know her or the situation around he really turns on her a few times he becomes really he feels really, inadequate really, he says so doesn't he i didn't bring it into this house you did exactly yeah go and, and talk to your like, friend and all that it's become slightly abusive doesn't it and it's like when you know he's he's badgering it to say oh you could have fucking mentioned this and she says when would i have said it on the first date on the fifth mm-hmm. date and she, mm-hmm. and he says before you brought it into this house and i think that the idea of like um you know that it's it's driving the, the couple apart but he also he won't leave because uh, uh, he obviously feels so much pride. I kind of want to talk to you about this thing. 
Mika, please, will you give me five minutes? Go, please. Hey, chill out, all right? I'm trying to help this situation here. I have some ideas I want to talk okay, to you about. Okay, Mika, you and your stupid camera are the problem. What the fuck? Just leave me alone. Will you stop following me with the camera? I'm trying to solve the problem here. I didn't bring that thing well, into the house. Don't do me. You did. Oh. Thank you, Mika. Thank you so much. Well, hang out with your friend upstairs. I'll be down Shut here. Shut up! Uh, whatever. At, at first, I, was, I wrote down in my notes, zero chemistry, amdram depictions of couple in love. But actually, as the film developed, that, that actually became more enlightening to me, which is couple who really should not be together. Um, trying force couple who love each other because the the first five minutes are almost uh i was just like oh man like because i think he, they're all they're throwing these compliments and they're talking in a way that people don't talk which is like she's so sexy you're such a great guy you're so cute have they just moved into their first house together yeah the, the yeah. three years it's, relationship it, it's the honeymoon period kind of but not really but it's high it's heightened to the point where i was like this is this is just kind of almost hokey and goofy it's a bit phony i i i think i'm quite susceptible to these things because i'm we're all like children of the reality tv era as well like i'm a big brother maniac i know it's terrible but i i love it all and <laughs> i and the real world like this reminded me of the real world yeah. the kind of american style um reality shows the early ones the old uh, where that uh, yeah well, well where there's a, rom a romantic thing going on between a, a right. couple and it's all been filmed and the way they interacted was was very similar to that the other thing on what galley was saying was in these kinds of films the likability of the characters is is kind of key to make it work but there's so many annoying characters in the found footage mm. subgenre like even heather people find heather in the blair witch project just pretentious and preachy and uh hysterical just on devlin's it's a bit point weird. uh can i make a very early trip to critics corner oh, uh, one critic in 2009 on left lion magazine said this film is as much about human relationships in times of stress and dismay as it is found footage horror film and that is and that is instrumental in keeping the film believable and more importantly relatable mm. do you know who wrote mm. that I do not. Wanky young film critic Patrick Waggett. Hey. Oh, Patrick oh well done! You tricked it, it, us. It was my first. <laughs> it's my first published uh, film. I thought I recognised that name, Left Lion, and I was like, "Yeah." One more thing on the characters before we move along, but uh, I've written nothing for Katie at all. I did have empathy for her, but I, underneath the heading of character, I've written almost nothing. Um, I, I like. Um, in in the film Wreck, um, the lead character is called Angela, uh, Angela, Angela, and she's great. I really root for her and care about her. Uh, in in this, I didn't feel the same way, but I I think I latched onto Katie more than Mika certainly. But uh, what did you think of the lead of Katie? And it, is she as effective as a Heather? Or she makes she makes beads. She she puts beads together. She knits. Yeah, that's <laughs> for God's sake. It's it's a pretty it's it's a relatively thin. She hasn't got a great deal to work with. But I do believe in her stress. And I do, like I said before, Matt, I do empathise and I do kind of care for her in the terms of Mika's misunderstanding that he needs to 
support her in a different manner now and drop this. It becomes his kind of project and he, he's not a, uh, a supporting partner. Um, he's not giving her what she needs. And so from that side of things, r- rather than being a heroine, I do kind of damsel in distress, I think, but I do care for her that way rather than root for her. So my own, you know, I do, I do, I, I am not unattracted to the character because I, I do care for her, uh, what's going to happen here. She's, you know, I, I, even her saying I've been haunted since I was eight years old. It's really quite harrowing. And I put, if you put yourself in that situation, which I think the film allows the audience to do so, it's fucking terrifying. And he's not being very sensitive to that. And so th- from that side of things, yeah, I, I'm kind of into Katie from a, um, uh, I'm worried about her situational point. Yeah. 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 She, and she is the, the, the actress, she does hysterical well. She mm, sells yeah. that. Um, the, the scream in particular when she gets dragged out of the bed is horrifying. Good scream. And it's a great scream. I, I will say that I think her performance kind of fluctuates here and there when she does when she does angry she does a kind of like kiddie grunt like and i found that i found i found that to be quite amdram but again in in a way i didn't i don't honestly i don't mind i think the format supports a kind of more it's not even about being naturalistic because it, it feels like a performance done by somebody who's not a professional but because the film hasn't got the conventions of a professional film i go with it whereas and i messaged devlin offline i cannot abide by a recognizable face or uh, an actor of of stature in a in a film with the same format because it just there's a disconnect there for me um i'm thinking about that link later film um is it tape? Yeah, well, tape's a strange one because it's not supposed to be found footage. It's just shot like absolute shit. <laughs> he's he's literally just walking around them with a with a handheld TV camera, and and yeah. But you're right. It's it's the um, it's well, that's Ethan Hawke and the guy from House, and these people are too famous to be on a TV camera. It's it's there's a mismatch. The form and the content have to match, and this one nails it completely, largely because it's completely absent of um set dressing or or further mythology or anything other than the information that the two characters have at the time which you put this into a into a straight fiction film there's nothing there there's nothing to hang your hat on because there's like it's not like um what's the one with while you're on ethan hawk is it sinister which is sinister yeah later ones yeah they stopped the film two-thirds sinister insidious as well is it the same franchise as well aren't they i believe so yeah i think you're right though dev like the, the same rules don't apply I think it's like you have to attack these particular films in a, in a very different way. If we're going down the kind of sense that their relationship is fractured and he's not, they're not, he's not supporting her, that they're not dealing with the stress very well. It, it, Matt, just to say like, are we rooting for her at all to kill him at the end? Cause he's such an annoying git and he's driven her to that towards the end. I, I don't find horror in that though. I'd rather that she was vulnerable and things were happening to her. Mm-hmm. That there's the scene where she leaves the house and she goes out onto the, uh, kind of porch mm. swing. Yeah. And that's at, at that point, I'm really concerned, mm. but, um, that the way it becomes kind of a, 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 re- a revenge fantasy thing where she gets some kind of vengeance against him i don't think it's been built up to that degree i don't think no i I like the idea that it's a a jealous demon i like it as a as a theory patrick um we're as well getting straight to the the ending so my i 
I found myself to be like fully Because I like engaged. the smile that she has before she goes to sleep. I, see, I don't like it. I don't... Basically, the I, demon. The demon's happy and... Bit on the nose. Four-fifths of a, a really good film. The last fifth for me, when it goes full supernatural, it's pretty much from the goat's footsteps where I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> the goat. Yeah, I think they're just on the line there of... No, because it's not, it's not human footsteps. It's a... It's, it's not a, a goat, but, though. Yeah. No, it, re- it reminded me of, I was trying to define it. It reminded me of, um, Joe Pesci and De Niro in Goodfellas, where it's like, what do you call it? What do you, call it? The, the hoof, the paw, the paw, the hoof, the Um, but I was like, well, what is it? It's not a human footstep. So, and then I'm stuck. But to me, when it goes like full tilt supernatural, I preferred it when it was like, well, we don't, it could be a demon. It could be who knows what it mm. is. As soon as they kind of clearly define, right, demon, because even even at the end, like that last jump scare, I didn't need it. I I would have preferred him thrown to the camera, and maybe we see her with a bloody top, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's um, I don't like the supernatural face. I, it's really, I think Matt said it earlier. It took it was an effect that took takes you out of the aesthetic that that's just worked so well for the last. Well, but the blueprint, the blueprint has been set because every horror film in the last decade, I've seen scary face running towards the camera. I remember seeing the trailer mm. for the uh, the original it, or well, the original the it remake, and uh, I didn't want to go and see it for that very reason that it was like cloud pretty good running towards the camera. Exactly. Yeah, it's really good. They didn't need to have that horror, that stupid it's become gimmicky. Yeah, it's properly yeah. gimmicky. That, that- there are three endings. Uh, they're in the playlist if you want to watch them. They're all on YouTube. The uh, the theatrical version is the one I think that we're discussing, yeah. where yeah. the demon face she she morphs into like a and then she, CGI demon and, and attacks a camera inexplicably. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like when Ian Holmes uh, sees the ring after a while, yeah. and it's like, give me the ring. <laughs> <laughs> there is another fatal attraction uh, ending where she uh, kills Mika downstairs. Uh, and he's he's never brought back up to the bedroom. She approaches the camera, cuts her throat, falls to the ground, end. Mm, okay. And then there is another ending where um, she kills Mika downstairs. She comes back up to the bedroom, sits down, and she's kind of rocking uh, as the daylight starts to flood so in. Is it for and two the days? On the... She sits there for, I think, two days, which is a very creepy. I'll take that one then, Matt. I'll take that one. And then, That's the original, then, and then it is, yeah. Same ending. Uh, the uh, someone comes in. I think it might be her sister. Well, I think you hear and, her sister uh, downstairs. Who finds him. It's dead. the yeah. It. It's it's the girl who's been in. The, that's that's what's great about this Christy. one. It's kind of um, established. Yeah, it's the girl who's in the previous scenes that she's seen on the sofa with chatting. Uh, right, and then she uh, calls the cops. Uh, the cops come in. Again, turns into an episode of Cops, which again I watched religiously and uh, loved the, the, the found footage kind of idea of that. And then the cops come in; uh, she snaps out of her demonic state, seemingly, and approaches the cops with knife still in hand, and the cops gun her down. Mm, and that, and then it ends. No. And then there's one more, which was conceived but never shot, where Oren Pelly said uh, that he, uh, Mika would be bludgeoned to death with his own camera and we would see it from the perspective of the camera as Katie was smashing the camera into into Mika to kill him. And I personally I would go with the cops ending, but I don't know about Uh that. I wouldn't go with the cops. So if he were to be beaten, can it be with his own shoe? 
Uh, sorry, Matt. It's just the way you said bloody setup just had me in. Can I, pro- can I, can I propose a sixth ending? And again, I'm, you've now yeah, got me yeah. in, um, in trying to be funny mode. Dr. Friedrichs. So we don't see anything. <laughs> Dr. Friedrichs he's walks up the stairs. In country. He walks up the stairs. He's got a crate of wine. And he's like, yeah. Katie. I love Rieger. San Diego t-shirt. And, yeah. then, and then, and then he says, he says out loud to himself, but not to the camera, something bad has probably happened. I should probably leave. There we go. There's the sixth ending. Thank you very yeah. much. Uh, um, my, my writer guild's uh, number is 68219. <laughs> much as we discussed in Fatal Attraction, the original ending is the one that makes the most sense and you can tell that that's what they'd constructed. But I can also see that as a as an ending for a cinema experience, that's a bummer and not in the way that you're going to get a crossover hit. It, it screened in 2007 out. with the original. It did, and yeah. then Spielberg uh, put his, put uh, his mitts uh, in there. Festival, and there, there was a there was a dude from uh, uh, there was some uh, a guy from an agency, CAA, I think, um, and he watched it literally at the first screening in 2007, and they immediately signed Oren Pelly up, and obviously at that point the film gets withdrawn from the festival circuit. Uh, it was initially. Um, bought to basically they wanted they liked him as a guy they thought this is clearly a smart guy let's sign him and we'll give him something to do uh they were initially going to re reshoot this entirely they were going to just go ahead and like you know use this as a framework to make a more expensive film and i believe oren pelly and either his agent or someone who is kind of on his side in the production team were like let's just screen it once for an audience was and that jason that bloom was- it may have been. It was either Jason Blum or somebody attached to kind of Blum, and and they uh, and they they got such a reaction out of it that so they ended up. It was fifteen grand initial budget, and then around two hundred thousand in post production, probably just to add that um, low hum sound that comes in whenever anyone. Uh, I think they added some shadows. That there was only yeah. originally one yeah. shadow, and I think they added a couple more. Mm. Is it Blum or Bloom? Blum. <laughs> is it Jeff Goldblum or Jeff Goldblum? We yeah. don't know. Because yeah. I was reading that because Paramount were the distributors and Spielberg watched it. Wasn't didn't he play a big part in asking it the 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 ending to be changed and gave them what four grand to reshoot it? Right. Okay. Well, I mean, it would. It would it, you, but wrong, it, but I think I think it played, uh, obviously it, the the film is yeah. a huge success, so he's not wrong. But for, for I my taste, I think it's a world building thing because. I quite like Matt the ending where she comes up and slits her own throat. I don't mind that ending, but I think the one that we have now is to go. Well, how many films have we got? Paranormal. I didn't realize this till this morning reading uh, about it. Seven. seven. Fuck's sake! And mm. you don't get that. And obviously, they thought it was bankable, and mm. thought we need Katie to stay alive. I think and- the other thing as well that as to why I probably even now, um, you know, spoil well, sandwiches. I'm going to say that I, I really enjoyed most of the movie is that I don't know if I could sit through seven, even if they were of equal quality, because the kind of the genies out the bottle, um, yeah. as in like the, the structure of it. Um, one of the things about these found footage movies is that you really only get the, the, the surprise and the, the mystery of what it is, is kind of, I'm not saying it's a one-stop shop. I could watch this movie again, this movie again, but I don't think we'll build in off the back of this 
would be certainly my jam. I know that clearly it is for others because they've been hugely successful. But what it what it has clearly done, and we've kind of done back to front because we were going to talk about the production history on this one, but the the formula has definitely kind of been honed and perfected because actually the 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 whole. I think uh, I read Commode. Well, I watched the YouTube video of Commode reviewing the re- reviewing it on radio, and he said, "I thought it was kind of harsh, but he said it was quiet, quiet, then bang, movie." Which reminded me of when I think it was Siskel who said in Aliens it was a boo movie, which mm. I disagree with. He means again. that as a criticism, doesn't he? And I, yeah, yeah, he meant that as like it's a cheap scare, but I I disagree because if you're on tender hooks, okay, yeah. If I just if I if you were sat watching your television i just went behind you and slapped my my hands by ear you would jump but that doesn't necessarily mean you were scared that's just a reaction scared is like anticipating what what is to come and i found myself not like affected by it because i was i was biting my nails i was doing things subconsciously during the viewing of the movie that I wouldn't have done had I been watching sports. So the film worked. <laughs> My worst one was uh, a lot of the weird stuff happens during the so-called witching hour between three and four. And like a lot of stuff happens at 3.15, I think mm. specifically in this film. Austin and I was saying to myself, like, I, I, <laughs> I was saying, oh, I'll, I'll be in bed by then. I'll, I'll be asleep. I won't, I won't be around. Also with your bedroom door closed. You know, it's well. so stupid. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, no creaky doors, please. But yeah, I, I found it very effective. I think it's, I think it's genuine uh, building up of tension that even when the door slams, you don't know what's behind the door and you're, sh- you know, you're very scared what is behind it because you don't know. And I think this film mm-hmm. does well to, it, it doesn't really explain what it is. Maybe apart from goat foot <laughs> footprints, yeah. as Gally said. He, but, he felt like that this was a horror film for non-horror fans. Yeah. And I, detected some snobbery in his uh he kept saying that he didn't believe it was real like did he think the exorcist was real he what he said to justify it in a second video because it was definitely unclear he said something about um uh the jeopardy he didn't he believes the jeopardy or something in in the exorcist but he doesn't believe the jeopardy here it was it was to do with the reality and, and i think he was frustrated that a lot of other people were disturbed by it and he he didn't get it, and he felt the need to come come down quite. Was he one of those on that attended the screenings of Devlin and says, "Oh, what fuck is good." He said that when he saw it, there was five film critics. Uh, he, he saw it with five other film critics, and none of them jumped. I think this was still when he was talking about the first one. None of them jumped. Which how could he know if they were? There is actually one that jumpy element that did get me is when she's on the swing and he goes upstairs. The TV's on. When he spins around, she's in the doorway. I thought that was quite she's an effective there. scare. Yeah, that's a bit of a jump. Here's my theory because I've watched this as I said uh, in a in a. I turned the lights off. I tried to make it as affecting as possible. Danielle didn't want to watch it with me, so I watched it on my laptop, which is probably you know probably not how Scorsese intended. But either way, <laughs> the, so and and I think there is a there's a cognitive bias because I think if I had seen this in the cinema in 2019, uh, 2019, 2009, I would have. Uh, there is there is something about the experience with a crowd. And I think if a crowd is scared, then then fundamentally you will also kind of feed off that. If he's in a cinema with five other critics on his own, 
I could probably yeah. understand why none of it's, them are getting. It's probably it, it's it's, it's, it's a, probably it's a collective ten in the morning thing, on it? a Tuesday, yeah. right? Like, exactly. Yeah, There's, there is something about making you do have to buy into the movie. I think you do have to kind of meet it halfway, but like like all premises. But I also think you need to give yourself, like all horror films, the best opportunity to get into. You know, watching The Exorcist at nine a.m., which I could do on Sky uh, Cinema currently. You know, I could do that, but it's not going to affect me like it would do if it was eleven o'clock, all the lights are off, and um, I've, I've had a couple of beers. Like this is it's just different, isn't it? I think there's a cognitive bias there that he's clearly couldn't, he hasn't recognised it. But then, well, yeah, for this film, I completely agree. But then, I, I don't really have an interest in the sequels because I'm worried that. They would become films that you could watch at any time a day because they're not as effective. And Devlin, we spoke about this on another episode and I don't remember which one it was, but, or maybe it was offline, just the constant need recently to, uh, expand and explain what's going on. Mm. This film doesn't really explain it. We know it's a demon. We know that, but you know, like rather than give the demon a name or a background maybe it was or alien. a history, maybe it was alien. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was. Well, remember, it's the, it's the extended universe problem that they have, which of course, um, producers and IP rights holders fucking love it and they need it because that's, that's the only way that you can continue with this. Sorry, thing. IP rights. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I, I don't intellectual know property, intellectual property. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you. no, no, uh, fair. Um, yeah, the, the, the rights holders for these things, it's, it's the, uh, once you get a name brand recognition, this was a thing that came out of nowhere. Oren Pelly was a, uh, a software programmer from Israel who'd moved to the States and uh, fair play to him for creating a graphics program, apparently by the age of 17. Yeah. Some sort of uh, weird I also theme. read that and was like, kudos, tip my hat. I, I was, t- I was putting the dates together. I was like, fuck me. It's like a child millionaire. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so did he need the money then or could he just have uh, maintained his integrity and just made this the way it should have been instead of putting a ghost face on the end. The rights have been, have been sold though, right? So I mean, if, if Spielberg told me to change it, I would have changed yeah. it. Too, <laughs> no, no, it's, and, and I mean, I would also, if I'd have got a cash cow like this and it's like, Oh, you know, you could just keep making these and continue to make money off it. I, I would have absolutely, it might be fun too. Yeah, to do it. No fucking scruples about it. it it's fun. fine. It's like, just, like the grudge guy, the grudge guy. Well, did it. I know the other one is uh, the saw guy, you know? Well, here's a, here's a, low, here's a low budget movie. Just keep piling them out. Sell it out, man. I, I met James one once on, uh, The Conjuring 2. And, um, I remember I just stood there. We, we did a TV audience scene. I just stood there. I was chatting to someone about the next scene. We had all this, this crowd. We even had the original girls from the story, the Enfield thing in the audience there. And someone tapped me on my shoulder. I looked down and James won. It's like, excuse me, you're in my shot. (laughs) Okay, I'll move. So I just moved out the way. Camera wasn't even set up. All right, this one, whatever you want. Yeah, he was doing, he was doing that. He was literally doing the viewfinder fingers. Um, so yeah, this, this extended universe thing is, is fine. It's not my bag. It's fine. Anyone can do whatever they want, but it's, a, it's a kind of a death knell for horror, really. You can do it in, in science fiction because that is about world building. You can do it in fantasy because that's what it's for. It's like people will love to sort of, uh, uh, put themselves into the, uh, what, what do they have for breakfast in the Shire? You know, like they'll create just this stuff. Like Terry Pratchett's thing is kind of fascinating the way he built out this. They have two breakfasts, allowances, spices, push stick. And but um, but with a horror, it's like it's like you say, it's what's in the what's in the corridor. If you know what's in the corridor, then I'm not scared of what's in the corridor. 
and uh well i i've seen the sequels and i i know what happened i, I know why I, I know how the uh photograph got uh, i know what uh, happens no, when no, she goes downstairs no. Sorry. I know all that stuff. I'm not, I won't even say it because you might not, you know. I don't want to know. I've no interest, like, because I'm really freaked out by how it got there with its singed ends and I don't need to know. Yeah. Watching it in the moment, the, the question never came to my head. I wonder, well, it is. I wonder how it got there, but I'm more thinking about like the repercussions well, the, of it being yeah. there, not, mm, I the wonder how it fundamentally got placed there. Did he, did he use the beams or did he go over the insulation? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cause it's really, it's really scratchy. Have you ever got that, that fiberglass? Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe he came down the chimney. I don't know. Um, also the, the fact that, um, this is a, uh, a big phenomenal, uh, but very fortunate success. The guy made this film cause he could and he did a very good job on it and it was, you you could say it's an accidental success. I mean, to the extent that it was, it was a very well-made film and it came out at the right time and it had the right um, people behind it to sell it really, really well. But to get a like 200 million box office out of a film that costs nothing is oh, accidental. It must be. So what you end up having to do is, well, you got to get another one out before people get over this shit because your window of, of uh, exploiting this is this big. You have no idea what actually happened because when you, they were writing the script as they made the film, right? They were retro scripts. And what was it so, shot on nine days, in nine days uh, as well? Yeah, something like ten, nine, ten, maybe, I think two weeks at most. And you could tell that uh, when he's um, fucking around on his big computer, you could tell that's literally the computer they were editing the film on. Like that is, that is literally the film that they would have, uh, that they would have. And, but it's like, okay, so well now what happened? You've got about four months to come up with this shit because it's going to be in cinemas this time next year. So what have you got? And then you hand off the baton to another set of filmmakers like, what have you got? And then they're just, it's like a game of uh, telephone. And it's, you know, uh, it's kind of, it's how all these films that they're just, when, when you can tell there's not a plan, people are just making shit up. And then the next film either has to conform to it or uh retroactively scrap it which is you know how you end up with like a rise of skywalker situation oh, it nah, always comes happen. back to the star wars that didn't it? happen i like that bit but that bit didn't happen yeah i wanted to talk about blumhouse because i had kind of slept on the origins and also once i did some reading i just find it kind of fascinating um i find him fascinating and i also wondered what you thought whether it was a you know it's a good thing or a bad thing that that they now seem to kind of have monopolized and certainly Devlin and, and Matt, because you're the big horror guys out of the sort of the four of us, whether you, you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, because they've kind, he's kind of mirrored his experiences at Miramax. He was an executive there and then they, they start up as this like plucky upstarter and then he's now diverged the production company. So you have these dramas like Whiplash, but then at the same time, you have these like down and dirty, cheap, cheaply made, uh, with great returns, horror movies. And then you have these elevated horrors, which you always have to do the quotation uh, marks. Otherwise you will get shot. So I don't know what you guys thought. <laughs> I, I I liked the idea of Blumhouse and the company. It was weird that he set it up in 2000 and that didn't do anything till this was like, so the jump off point, the first one, but I, I watched an interview with him, which was really interesting how he said, he wanted to do indie films and studio films, you know, like a bankable, you know, you're going to make the profit of the cheaper ones and then the studio ones have the credibility and just 
picking talented it's the vision i like i like the vision of bloomhouse and i think they've really stuck with it over the years to give creative freedom but pick exciting directors and exciting projects but they're all about the hook and the hook here is paranormal activity the found footage one get um <laughs> he says this is kind of remember any others us has the you know the the twin theory and get out is um the hypnosis, uh, hypnosis type thing what, what's going on and i i quite value their values going throughout it's just that they're a bit of a mixed bag in a strange way blumhouse for yeah. all of those interesting the hook films that i am hooked in and i'm quite impressed with like uh even uh it's a happy death day uh, mm-hmm. the groundhog day hook there yeah. I, I quite enjoyed that film and found it very entertaining but then there's half of their stuff i'm not interested in watching really and they also made green inferno which is a sin <laughs> um i understand why they do these things i i like the idea of um giving filmmakers a chance you know i really liked uh, one of theirs was um uh what was the joel edgerton movie that he did the, the gift? gift i really like the gift and you and of course they did the halloweens yeah, green, yeah right all the all the halloween stuff so um, mm. i like what they do i to be honest I, I know we've railed against the idea of like turning this film that we all i think enjoyed uh to an extent and we didn't all rail against it because matt you you sank through the sequels and you said some of them have value to them i i i yeah. wouldn't have thought there's much for me i don't know whether i'd dive into the sequels but at the same time i also uh, said that i would do the same thing and there's something about this stack em up kind of theory that i kind of admire the chutzpah like there's some there's i i fucking love like a real huckster producer type like <laughs> any of those guys like corman or um charles band guys like that like um, they understand that the business is a business, yes. but what I like is that they always also understand that if you can sneak in something that's legitimately good, then take it. You know, they, they don't turn down good films. It's just that they're happy to make absolute shit if they think they can make some money. Yeah. Off. They're not quite snake oil salesmen, are they? But they, but yeah. at the same time, they are, they are selling mass media entertainment. I didn't realize they did whiplash. And you can tell that that's, that's one of the one for us type things, right? It's like Damien Chazelle is a talented guy. Yeah. The idea of diverging, um, your, your output. So you have your, well, here's our, here's our Oscar play over here. And here's our, here's our one for the kids. And then here's our one, um, exciting new director that we're going to, uh, nail down on a three picture deal, get him to make a film, go get him or her to make a film. That's like, just so they get used to making a film. And then we'll give them, if they do well with that, then we'll give them something a little bit more meatier. And it, it totally makes sense. Uh, I, I do, I do admire it. And it's actually quite crazy because they now got multiple deals with several huge distributors. So Universal, Paramount, Warner, you know, it is a kind of their own little cottage industry. They do seem astutely run, don't they? Yeah. And, and you're right, uh, Patrick, when you say like the, the types of scripts that they catch, the ones with that great little hook. It's like the, you know, happy death day being a really good one. It's like, what if, what if a groundhog day slasher film? Like that's, that's a smart idea. And the, and the writers are smart enough to be able to uh, execute the concept. And I would imagine that probably Jason Blum or people that work with him are quite good at drilling people to like get to the point 
of your script. So yeah, they must have smart people who can develop the scripts to like mm. get to the point, get to the core concept. Uh, and because you don't have a whole bunch of money to spend, uh, they're probably very good at, um, minimizing the amount of kind of fluff that you would have in a film. I get I like the sense that. as well, Devlin, that their pre-production is pretty short because like, cause they know exactly what they want to do. Because if you look at all their films, and this is not a criticism, it's more of, well, this is how this is smart, is that films ordinarily take quite a long time to get made. So you would, you'd miss a trend or you'd miss a topical subject, whereas they yes. seem to be on the money. So I'm, when I went to what, uh, went to see, uh, Invisible Man with uh, mm. Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. It was like, well, we are just in, we're still in that sweet spot when it comes down to the Me Too movement. And actually, here's a film that is like on the money when it comes yeah. down to it. It's subtextual. You know, it's not the film. The film is a horror movie, but that subtext is running right through it. And it's yep. everyone's currently clicked in on that and they've released a movie. And funny old thing, it did really well. They're also become though an almost household name, you know. Like a Bloomhouse production will sell a film. There are there are some misses. I I, I must admit I watched uh, um, the Craft Legacy. I I thought I was it was very very confused. There was I'm an island quite... one that I watched. Fantasy Island. Yeah, that wasn't very good. Yeah. So you know, then then you know. Are you tapping into this because of Bloomhouse then? Because I'm quite quiet here. I, I don't really select films that way. I don't really care about Bloomhouse or anything like that. People will see that it's a Bloomhouse production. Like, oh, they did Get Out. Yeah, we're definitely going to go and see. Yeah, that. it tends to be from the people who brought you. So if yeah. they're quite an inclusive production it. company yeah. as well. And to to, to speak candidly. For an African American audience, I think they're quite an important horror production company as well. In the last ten as years, as far as the the Jordan yeah. Peele stuff, yeah, just kind of breaking yeah. the status yeah. quo, aren't they? I think, yeah. and, and I think Patrick's absolutely right. You know, for you or I, I'm not really bothered by any of that kind of stuff. Normally, I'd actually probably attach myself more to to the filmmakers, as in the director, than than maybe the production company. But at the same mm-hmm. time, um, a broader audience is. You admire their mission yeah, their, statement. Their mission they, they have like a manifesto that you're I, yeah, quite totally. And also, interested. I think for a broader audience that are kind of casual to their stuff, who just want to go to the cinema of a weekend, it's a bit of like, well, I, I really enjoyed that last one. So mm. if we're going to pick a film out of this five, I'll go with the Blumhouse one because I know what I kind of know what I'm going to get. There's such a back catalogue now of very specific types of films. So uh, I still not seen it, but I really do want to see it, which is uh, the film Freaky, which mm. is the body swap slasher. Yeah. horror comedy so Vince Vaughn not Freaky well, Friday that's, uh, yeah that's um, the, the the pitch of it is basically what if Freaky Friday but it's a teenage girl and a middle aged male serial killer and so it's like you've got uh, a similar thing which is like right. it's a it's a strong comedy concept that they put a horror twist on so it's like okay so we've got this film so people are going to be able to look at that and say I understand already the tone of this because I already enjoyed this one. I know mm. it seems a bit cookie cutter, mm. but within that you've got quite a lot of creativity and that's I think what I like. It's like it rides a line between this kind of, you know, kind of shameless exploitation and allowing people to actually do good work. And Dimension had a similar thing, right? If you yeah, go absolutely. you like Scream, so yeah, they Here's, they're going to sell I know we did last summer. the same poster yeah. for every summer. film. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> It's, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, that's what I mean by like, it's very huckster and it's probably not high art, but do we really care if they're all, if they're decent? Like, mm. They don't, they don't all have to be eating your vegetables. So how, so 
with paranormal activity, what do you think about, um, how it, is it conventional horror that, that all the things that, that, that we see in it, the creaking door and everything, do you see any influences from anything else in, uh, apart from the obvious Blair Witch in the style of it? The original, uh, original Poltergeist? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, the, I think there's some stuff there with the things moving around. There's a famous scene in Poltergeist. I haven't seen it for, for so long, but I think chairs are stacked yeah, on the table. Yeah. Uh, well, there's the, the discovery yeah. of the, the chair that's sliding across the kitchen and they put the little. Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the point at which the haunting is still kind of like fun, but it's like scary, but it's, but it's fun scary. Yeah. And, and my, my favorite one of them is in The Sixth Sense, where it's all done in one shot, and I think it just pans to the left. Who's the, who's the, the actress in the... the oh, oh fuck me. Tony Collette. The mum. Uh, Tony, Tony Collette goes uh, kind of left, and we pan with her, and then we come back, and and when the camera returns, the all the doors are open, and uh, all the cupboard doors are open, and everything is... Yeah, the drawers are open, and that's that's done extremely well. That that whole idea of a poltergeist moving mm. things I, around. I got a lot of uh, Geo on the grudge with the the bad sheets and just okay. the bad. Yeah, there's a there's a sequence in the uh, original Japanese Geo on uh, where the bad sheets move and then yeah. the 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 victim gets pulled under under and kid. yeah. So I, I I got some of that. But again, the Geo yeah. on the grudge is kind of poltergeist and just classic ghost stories and actually Patrick one of the things that I haven't stressed uh as we've been discussing is I am I'm so impressed with um I I put in my notes and I sent it to you guys offline the old swan metaphor the simplicity of the movie in a, in a way is is what is so successful because as an audience member watching it and even as a say a young budding filmmaker you'd be like oh I could make one of these this must be, this is easy. Couple of actors, camera, uh, simple premise, some doors moving, but there is so much stuff going on under the water. Like I was just so impressed with the craftsmanship in order to tell this tale in a way that means that I'm engaged and I'm not seeing behind the curtain. Do you know what I mean? Cause it's, it would, the acting isn't great, but as I said, that uh, there's a, there's a kind of an expectation of that. I mean, I do love Dr. Free. We have to talk about Dr. Friedrichs, but the, <laughs> but the way that he they, couldn't be here, he, he couldn't stay in the podcast scene. too long. He felt about I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, I can't be here. I'm but too the, drunk. <laughs> the, the management of the escalation. And we've done this before in horror films and action films, you know, time stamping stuff. But I just think for, for, as I say, mm. for four fifths of this movie, and I'm sorry to disagree with you, Spielberg, but for four fifths of it, <laughs> I thought it, this is like masterful. Like this is proper puppeteering of where yeah. you want your audience to be because I was there and I was thinking to myself, like, God, this seems so simple. And in a way, that's its best trick is that yeah. how simple it feels. There, there was one more thing in terms of you're talking about time stamps of things happening. There's another influence from the Blair Witch, I thought, where all of the the slime ends up on Josh's stuff. Like he's been targeted as the one that it's going after. And in this film, around about the same time, Mika's picture is yeah, smashed yeah, yeah. on the wall. And we see that he's the one who's been yeah. singled out. Uh, and I felt that was kind of a, a nod maybe. Our picture. My picture. That one, look. Fuck. 
How come my face is scratched and yours isn't? Something's here. It's bullshit. It's here. So, Matthew, anything else from uh, Critics Corner Lane? I've got a bit of Ebert for you. Uh, he called it ingenious and well-made. Uh, he cleverly noted that uh, the new camera is a, a toy for Mika and this bloke that's obsessed with it and films everything. And that kind of justifies a lot of the approach. Uh, it made it kind of believable to him. Uh, and he was uh, very clear in, in, in his admiration that it never broke that approach once it had been set up. It was loyal to that and, and the way it was photographed. Um, uh, I think uh, to take the edge off it, Katie chastises Mika at one point. She says, I can't believe you went back to get the camera. Oh yeah. And that may be something that the audience is thinking. And it just, it just kind of speaks that, uh, it speaks to us that way and addresses it. And I, I appreciate that they tried to, to do that. Um, it won't be enough to sort of stop the pedants from, from, you know, picking it apart, but at least they made a bit of an effort. And he called Katie Featherstone's performance flawless for the purposes of this film. Uh, all, although he remarked that there's no acting as such and that she's no Meryl Streep. Fucking hell. Um, so <laughs> he, so <laughs> he praised it. He gave her it and then he took it away. He said uh, that the silence and the waiting can be more entertaining than frantic cutting and berserk effects. He said, for extended periods, nothing is happening at all. But believe me, you won't be bored. So, yeah, again, hit and miss from Rog, but, uh, you know, not bad from him. And he gave it three out, three and a half out of four. Um so. What well, one critic of Left Line said, it's a shame it wasn't released for Halloween as it's guaranteed to delight horror fans and we'll get the girls hiding in your shoulder. <laughs> what sweat. Well, no, listen, um, someone, someone should hire that critic and, and get him, get him on you hired him, Gally, you did. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway. Um, well, uh, what have we got team? Favorite, favorite scenes for paranormal activity? Well, is there a Ham Neal award in this one, Gally? <laughs> there absolutely is. Um, there is only a small cast, but the Ham Neal award is still being awarded for this <laughs> film. It's got to be. And I don't even know the actor's name. I don't want to know it. It's doc, it's Dr. Friedrichs, wino slero pseudo mediator. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Honestly, I've written a whole backstory for him with his, oh, I love coming to San Diego because I love the wine. And I really like a breakfast yeah. burrito. Like he just, <laughs> I wanted him to come in that second time in a, in a, like a, a vineyards t-shirt. You know, he'd gone all sideways mm. and then come back. San Diego Chargers. <laughs> <hat>. <laughs> yeah. The next time he comes in with a Padres hat, it's like, yeah, I really do like San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> Big giant foam finger. He feeds into, at that point, us siding kind of with Mika's skepticism. And the moment they ask for like, is there a way we can mitigate against it? He's like, no. No, there's nothing. This will be here with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> no, thanks, Mr. <laughs> what is that your oh, favorite thanks. scene then when he returns yeah. and he's all flustered? Well, favorite because it's funny, but my, my personal favorite scene is, um, I think the, the bed grab scream is the mm. most, most affecting for me. Uh, I, I just, I just mm. think, um, that's the culmination of the whole movie. And that was the bit where I'm like, Holy shit. What about, what about you, uh, Devlin? You got favorite scene or sequence? I like the, um, 
the first freaky stand up, the first uh, extended period of standing next to the bed, mm. staring at him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was uh, that's a really great escalation. It's doing a lot with very little. They're they're playing with the the time code thing really well there. Um, I loved the way that they controlled that time code speed up, slow down thing. I really did. It's uh, yeah, I liked it. What about you, Matt? Um, any time that fast forward time code is deployed. Uh, or it cuts to night number, whatever. I, I, I love that. And as it escalates, but also like the idea of, um, where she goes outside onto the, uh, onto the outside sofa. I liked because every time they start to separate Katie and Mika and she's in that kind of catatonic state, they're no longer a couple, even though they maybe weren't a great couple in the first place, they're totally separated there. And a lot of the horror comes from that. I'd agree with Galley on night 13. I think that great scream and they're followed by the swinging chandelier as they go downstairs to check it out. And then everything with Dr. Friedrichs. <laughs> nice. uh, uh, pa- Patrick. I, I, you've highlighted them all. Um, the, the first night she stands up and goes downstairs to the outside to the porch. Uh, uh, something about her, uh, demeanor downstairs that's worn out and fr- yeah. It, it's, it's all quite freaky to me and the way she stood there that is really unnerving um i will talk about a missed opportunity i think that i think they had where i can't remember the sequence but he goes down the corridor and he's checking the rooms and in one of the rooms i noticed there's this massive teddy bear and i really wish that the demon had possessed the teddy bear and the teddy bear came down the <laughs> corridor like something around <laughs> I think that just, had. <laughs> <laughs> just to be just silly uh, that's uh, very scary movie five yeah. uh, maybe they should have done that. <laughs> um so pop quiz assholes shoot them in the leg Thought, uh, yay very good <laughs> um Little pub quiz for you. Three questions. Yeah. Question one. How do how do we buzz? Oh, you have to do a demonic grunt in this week's one. Can I not just say uh, I can't help? Can that be my buzz? You can do a Friedrichs if you want. Yeah, I will. All right, question one. How old was Katie when she first experienced a haunting? I'm antagonizing it. She was eight. <laughs> <laughs> Tick. Big, big, bing. Um, question two. What documented night did Katie kill Mika? I'm not the person to help you in this situation. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> uh, night 21. Night 21 is correct. And for a bonus point, what date? Leeds Metropolitan University. Oh, Galley. Yeah, with the steel there. That's a bonus point there for Galley. And question three, what time did Katie wake up? And night 21. This is overpowering. Matthew? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with 3.15. Oh, 1.27. Oh, sorry, Stone Cold. That was in my synopsis, so I had given the answer right. earlier anyway. Uh, so the winner... That, one. Wait, that thank was one point each. Yeah, well done, Ooh. Patrick Paxman. One point each. We are, we, are, we are doing well. Technically undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we go into our summaries, and I ask if you recommend the movie, uh, the Ham Neal Award is indeed to Dr. Friedrichs, actor <laughs> unknown. <laughs> I think it's Mark Friedrichs. Mark Friedrichs, who will be playing Aladdin in the local panto, <laughs> currently doing uh, the rounds in Glasgow, uh, if you want to go and see him in that. We need your help. This is, this is overpowering. It's getting worse. Yes, it certainly doesn't like that I'm here, and I cannot help you. What? In fact, I've got to get out of here. This thing is very aggravated, the fact that I'm here. Wait, 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 wait. Everybody calm down. We need your help. Well, I've got to tell you, I am not the person to help you in this situation. This is not my area of expertise. 
Well, I think I'm doing more harm being here than any good. Yes, I really have got to leave. And Dr. Avery will be back in a few days, and when he gets back here, he'll take care of all yeah. the problems. What should we do? Should we, should we leave? Should we? Leaving won't help at all. Let me see what I can do, but I've got, I've got to leave this room right now. This is no joke. I will help you. I will help you, but I, I can't do this right now. No, 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 no. Anyway, um, so I will start with you, Devlin, as our resident horror O. Final thoughts on paranormal activity, and would you recommend it to our listeners? Um, right out of the gate, I would recommend it to our listeners. Um, I had slept on this, and I am disappointed that I had. Uh, it's a very, very effective and well-made film. It's a really smart deployment of a genre that is not often deployed this smartly. Um, it's coherent. Uh, uh, the form and the content are, are in match. They're in sync. Uh, it's a film that couldn't exist in another form, which is exactly the sort of thing that you would like to see from a film like this. Um, we were tense throughout. I watched it with, uh, with, uh, Chiara and she was freaked out and the, rhythm of the film the 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 rise and fall tension was just perfectly calibrated for her and and that is testament to genuinely well plotted filmmaking this stuff doesn't happen accidentally this is this is somebody the fact that this film comes in at what 86 minutes and is it's quite perfectly calibrated you know um so yeah, uh, kudos to the, to, to RN Pelly and the, the rest of the team that put this together because, uh, it's, this is a real kind of low budget triumph. Uh, I'm still probably, I don't know. I'm vaguely, uh, um, intrigued by the prospect of seeing some of the others. I am not sure I'm going to enjoy them, but I guess I, I, I've talked myself into kind of appreciating the hucksterism of it all and like you know you get this one little surprise success and just spin it out until it stops being profitable and geez wasn't there one last year 2021 yeah, yeah there was uh, that's, that's yeah lot. i just watched that one it's called next of kin which has almost no ties to this <laughs> one so you can kind of absorb that as uh kind of a new experience so you can maybe start there if you wanted right. to well, uh, uh, maybe I will. Well, I'll, I'll hand over to you, Matt, as the, uh, as the more informed of the paranormal activities folk. I'm, I'm going to try and do, uh, found footage February on, on Letterboxd. So, uh, I'm going to, I think there's only 28 days this year. So I'll have to narrow it down to 28 if I can. Um, so we'll link to that. Um, I think that the quiet, quiet bang approach that Commode talked about hadn't taken hold. At this point, I think this is something, uh, much more original, uh, that the sequels do have it. They're guilty of, of that. Uh, but it's much subtler here. And, uh, I think the filmmakers are still figuring out what this kind of film can be. And they don't resort to those cliches as much. Uh, if you're interested in the series, I would start with the first one because I think it's the strongest. Um, it did strike fear into me, even at this late age. I'm, I'm sort of no longer terrified, Late but age. I'm, I'm <laughs> middle-aged. He's, he's on death's door. Uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm at least conscious of watching it on my own. Like I was saying about the fridge making noises, you yeah. know, and saying, oh, I won't be awake at three, so it won't get me, you know, just daft stuff like that. And I know it's it's nonsense, but um, I think it's built around this idea of things that go bump in the night that we all kind of freaked out by. We don't know what that is. It's, a, it's tapped into a... a very shrewdly and cleverly into a relatable fear. Uh, as a caveat, I think it's too 
heavy-handed. Uh, I'd go against Spielberg here for once and say I don't like the CGI demon face at the end. This whole idea of dragging people away from and towards the camera has become very gimmicky. Uh, like even one of my favorites, Wreck, ends with a, uh, a dragging away from camera. Uh, and I just keep going back to Blair Witch and the subtlety of that that ending that links into the mythology of the story. I think that's a stronger way to do it. Um, I think it's a really great achievement with little to no budget. Um, and I'm quite glad for him that he went on and made, you know, six more or whatever he's done. Um, I, I agree with you, Devin. I think he should, he should milk it. You know, um, I don't think this is a time to be, to have too much integrity around this, this particular film series. So good for him. Um, I think uh, Roger Ebert observed it's a film of devices and quite effective ones. The door creaking uh, gives me chills and uh, the the breeze or the breath on her hair, I think is very effective. I like all of that. Um, the night vision stuff has become quite iconic and it's spawned lots of ripoffs. Um, I can't remember the title of the other one. They're, they've done maybe four spinoffs. Paranormal Entity, I think it's called. Um Another studio, the studio that does Sharknado. Oh, this is the Asylum, right? The trans, yeah, the Asylum. They, they just lads. steal. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think I, I wished I'd seen it in a cinema because that that experience of all being packed in like sardines, kind of feeding on each other's fear, it is the way this film would be the most effective. Uh, I, I was lucky to see Blair Witch at the cinema, but um, seeing Paranormal Activity on DVD wasn't quite the same um and i i think there's a lot to be said for that experience because that's something that streaming's not going to offer i think everyone together watching a horror film in the dark is one of the the best things that cinema can provide same with comedies you know laughing together or being absolutely petrified or pretending not to be petrified in the company of others uh so i i definitely recommend it restrictions permitting We've still got some. I don't think you've got any more restrictions over there, have you? Uh, on, for the old COVID. If you're if you're an MP, then you certainly don't have any restrictions. Boris was caught jacking off over a cake, so they cancelled COVID to, to distract from it. So we're all fine now. You can go do what you want. We've got a four-person restriction, so that's not quite good enough. But maybe you could get a bigger group over there and and try and experience it with a with a crowd. I definitely definitely recommend it. Um, I'll pass over to. Patrick. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I, I now feel a lot more lucky that I got to see it at the cinema at the time. I do remember it, really enjoying it when I went to see it because there's a, I've always found, this is a bit of a tangent. I, I used to do little classes and lectures on films with uh, teenagers in Leicester at the, at the Phoenix Media Center. And a couple of kids kind of described what you said, Devlin, about don't like horror, oh, man, it just doesn't do anything for me. And I tried to get them to look into horror as a more of a thrilling entertainment, fun kind of ride, like uh, at, at a theme park. And I found that Paranormal Activity at the time was a good example of that. Um, and I find, and yesterday when I watched it and this morning, same again. I, I'm thrilled by it. I'm, I like being scared. I like being kind of challenged. And I know that a film's doing a good job on me if the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, which they did several times in this film. Every time we return to that static shot of the bedroom, I am f- sweaty palm filled with dread. 
what's happening? What's going to happen? Where do I look? Do I look at the corridor? Do I look at the bedroom? Do I look at Katie? Do I look at Mika? Do, is it going to come from the bathroom? Oh, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. And I think that's a real masterstroke. And uh, as Gally said, an icon of the film that's, um, was felt really original and quite innovative at the time. And it's look what it spawned this, this, um, influx of new horror films that we've got ever since. I don't feel like I want to watch the sequels because this one feels quite unique as a standalone to me, despite having its uh, 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 relation to uh, comparison to Blair Witch and the like. But I think it's really well made. It's just a really fine example of what you can do simplistically in cinema. You don't need to be over the top. You don't need to... Um, explain everything all the time and this is a really good example of that look at how much money it made I, the audience score on rotten tomato i don't really understand because I, I think this is a really good film i don't fully uh I, I i don't like the cgi face at the end which is a shame but i think the film's done enough to to forgive it for that little misstep there and i kind of after talking to you guys i understand why they did it but um yeah, fine, fine pick. I have to thank our, our listener, Gally. Um, yeah, what did you yep. think? Thanks, Dave Grohl. It's good. It's a good choice. Do you have anything else to add, Gally? Uh, no, no, I think, I think you've, uh, you've all pretty much summarized, uh, exactly my thoughts. Um, yeah, this is the, one of the, one of the great examples, along with Evil Dead, along with Blair Witch Project, along with Saw, which I did forget. I think this is a great example of lo-fi, filmmaking presents itself as being so simple too simple to possibly be that affecting i'm like you patrick i'm not going to go into the sequels uh although i'm kind of fascinated to maybe just watch the last the latest one just to see how far the apple has fallen from the tree <laughs> <laughs> galley you talked earlier about how um like the technology of how these things were shot can sometimes be a pet peeve for you uh the new one uses drones as well as uh, uh, high high-tech cameras so they're really pushing it with the equipment. yeah eventually we'll have horror films with the uh, is it colostopy uh cameras they'll just be like horror like colonoscopy cameras yeah they'll just be like a ghost in your ass which is just scary <laughs> <laughs> well, where? Well, like in a space kind of. Time. <laughs> There's a ghost in Martin Short's anus. <laughs> so, thank you very much uh, to our listener, Davey, um, for picking it. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, keep the listener requests coming in. Despite what Gally said at the top of the episode, we do actually read them, and it is <laughs> it is nice to get them. Did, did he um did he say what he thought of the film? No, he just wanted us to discuss it. Okay, I'd like to know what he thinks then. I'd assume he likes it. Well, where can our listeners find Paranormal Activity team? Uh, in the UK, Prime Video has it, IMDb TV, and American listeners, Netflix, Paramount Plus, and Pluto TV. A rewind favorite. What well, if we were to make a streaming website? What would we call it? Rewind streaming, or would we have something? It has to be two syllables, and it's something like "spumble bimbom." Yeah, bimbom. Bim I'll go with bimbom. The Fredericks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly how much thought goes into those names, by the way. Devlin, as the hucksters that we are, would you like? to tell our listeners about our T-Mail store. 
<laughs> uh, yes, uh, head to the website as always, rewindmoviecast.com. There is stuff. All our old episodes, essays, illustrations, weird stuff. There is a tab shop, which you can follow to go to our T-Mill store, devilindoesdrawing.tmill.com. There are, as you would expect, t-shirts. There are also posters and tote bags, our uh, magnificent trope totes, courtesy of our own scariest artists, Matt. Nice. Uh, some stickers, all kinds of stuff. Rewind merchandise, unrelated bullshit it's a lot of fun over there and uh it's it's environmentally sustainable and we make virtually no money from it also if you are gagging for a jet t-shirt they are flying off the shelves so um do get yourself to the t-mill store sharpish um otherwise you'll wrap her legs around you i'd imagine um in anger because you didn't because you didn't get one on my second whistle i'm also going to just mention that if you do enjoy the show uh and you enjoy what we do then please do subscribe share like uh pen us uh, a wee review we would very much appreciate it spread the gospel team okay so if you know somebody that you think would like to hang out with us for a couple of hours of pure nonsense then just let them know okay that's all we ask all right there are no paywalls there are no patrons there is just me the team and your ears and that's it um right team we shall say our goodbye shall we i don't give a fuck what that thing says on the ouija board it's galley in glasgow signing out (laughs) dr abrys is out of town it's definitely in london do you have enough batteries it's patrick in london leaving won't help at all i've got to leave this room right now i will help you but i can't do this right now it's matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. <laughs>